This is a Dungeons and a Dragons podcast where we play, and we by we I mean me and my friends play Dungeons and uh, Dragons. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Make Believe Heroes, an actual play. Fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons adventure for everyone, all of you, everyone out there, uh, all of you who are listening, all of you out there who are not listening, who are somehow hearing this, um, thank you. This is for you, this podcast. It's for you. You are the reason for our uh, dedication and continuing recording, writing, playing, and goofing off. Uh, and we love you. I think that's what I'm, I'm really trying to get right down to is we all love you. And, of course, I'm having to speak for everyone today because uh, I'm, I'm all alone in the recording room today. Sipping my lovely Onyx coffee. It is a cold November morning. Um, I'm actually recording this on Thursday, November the 30th. Uh, which is quite a while after this episode was actually recorded. All of you out there in Listenerland know that things have been kind of tumultuous over here with scheduling and and life being super busy. You know, it's just it's just life. Uh, for example, I'm actually leaving today and heading a few hours, about six seven hours away from here, because on Saturday our own Jeffrey Jeffrold himself is tying the knot. He is getting married. And we're, we're, we're excited for him. Congratulations, Jeffrey. Congratulations. We knew you could do it. Uh, you're the man. You're, you're our boy. And we love you. Um, for the someday, some distant future day, when you do decide to go listen to this. But anyway, anyway. Um, today's episode is going to be a little different. It is not a direct continuation of episode 18. If you recall, or I'm sorry, wait, this is 17. Episode 16. That's how counting works. Uh, episode 16 set up some things with uh, Joseph and crew out at sea. But then we got to see a picture, a glimpse of what was going on with Saul and Misk out there. As this is the final season of this story, which I have kind of personally been calling the champion saga. I think that's kind of what I'm going to go with, probably champion saga. Thought about chained and all that stuff, but I think think champion uh, is probably... It's a little bit more of a positive and hopeful title that I like. So the Champion Saga is kind of way the way I, I think of it. So um, if I ever say that, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about these five seasons of MBH, this story that I set out to tell all that time ago. And it also uh, means that there will be more after this. You know, and there's a, I know there's a lot of lamentation going on about the fact that this is our final season. And it is the end of this story. And I can't speak to what's coming next for sure. But uh, this is the final season of the Champion Saga, the Champion Arc. And because of that, there are a lot of characters out there that are in this world that are doing things, and I feel like we need to see some of that. So in this episode, you're going to get some important scenes uh, that are sort of building toward what's coming. And uh, it's a little bit different, but I think that you will enjoy it. I hope you will, anyway. And it is going to give you a lot of questions, which is, of course, one of my favorite things to do. But anyway, that's enough talking about it for me. Let's get into it. Um, 
just a couple things up front. First, big shout out to BattleBards, whom we love. They add an incredible amount of spice to your gaming table. If you love BattleBards and you are like us and you play D&D, check them out, BattleBards.com. They have tons of amazing sound effects and music that will add just the appropriate amount of spice to your gaming table. Also, none of this could uh, continue and be the way it is. The, our, our audio quality, um, everything that we do has really been made possible by the support of our amazing Patreon subscribers and supporters. If you go to patreon.com slash makebelieveheroes and support us, we will give you a shout out live on the show uh, in addition to all the other cool rewards you can get access to. Uh, just like one of our all-time favorites, Ethan Granger. Thank you so much, Ethan, for your support, uh, also known as Waki on the Discord. You are amazing, uh, and don't tell the others, but you are our favorite. Of course, another way that you can support us is by leaving us a five-star review, uh, and I have a five-star review to read to you. This one is from back in September of last year, 2022, and it is written by Poop Miggy, <laughs> uh, entitled, This is a Very Good Podcast, Five Stars. They're so funny. I listen to them every day and everywhere, and Jeff is the best. He really pulls the whole podcast together. Happy birthday. Thank you, Poop Miggy, for the kind words. Uh, we think that um, that you are also really funny, and um, happy birthday. I don't know. If, I don't think it was anyone's birthday or something. Maybe it was. I can't recall. Uh, or maybe it was. I don't know. But either way, happy birthday, as Frosty the Snowman would say, especially as we're coming into the Christmas season. Happy birthday. Um, I thought it'd be nice to throw out one to Jeffrey that was here. Actually, at the very next one on my list uh, just so happened to be a shout-out to Jeffrey. Uh, congratulations getting married. And uh, one more thing. We love you guys. Let's get to some Dungeons & Dragons. Oh, do come in, my dear. Have a seat. And if you don't mind, close the door behind you. Ilu Marie Jin, her purple skin gleaming in the lamplight, steps into the dark laboratory. She closes the door behind her and then approaches the striking short figure with her radiant green streaks of hair shining in the dim light. Across from her, another figure, her copper eyes sharp and bright, turns to face Marie as she approaches. We almost have everything prepared, or at least we uh, think that we do, she says, giving her sister an accusatory glare. Yes, yes, do come in, my dear. We are so excited. Aren't you excited? Why, yes. Um, <clears throat> um, Penrea, I, I am excited and a bit nervous, if I, if I might admit it. Oh, please, there's nothing to be nervous about. What are they going to do? Pull you back into the Nine Hills? Mari looks at the two of them nervously. Everything's going to be fine. It's going to be fine, Mari. I mean, after all, this is why you stayed behind uh, while Saul and Misk went searching for their mother. Have you heard from them lately, by the way? I wonder how that's going. Mari straightens her robes a little nervously. Uh, yes, um, I, I spoke with Saul just this morning, actually. He, they, they have a lead, uh, we should say. They, 
I spoke with someone who has some knowledge of the situation. Um, although he was a little dodgy about who that might be, the gnome they were searching for. But regardless, they are now heading south toward Vinthaven. Uh, they expect she will be there, and I also know that, well, the, um, the Drake and Kelly plan to go to Vinthaven at some point as well. So perhaps we'll all be together again sooner than we thought. Vinrea drops a glass beaker onto the table with a loud clink. Well, the day's not getting any younger, is it? And we do have much to do, as you have implied, Mori. So, um, if you are ready, we have prepared all the necessary components. All we need is you to perform the ritual. She holds out a sharp ceremonial blade toward the tiefling. Mari gives it an inquisitory eye for just a moment, but then, quickly regaining her composure, she reaches forward and takes the knife by the hilt. I am ready, I suppose. Um, And once the portal opens and we are able to speak with them directly, if anything seems to be going awry, then I simply suggest that the two of you not let anything happen to me we've got your back Mari. no worries Timpari reaches over and pats her reassuringly on the shoulder well in that case uh, i suppose we shall begin Mari grips the knife tightly in her right hand and then holding her purple palm over the large stone basin on the table before them she cuts down through her palm gashing it deeply Her purple blood runs freely down into the stone basin. And the moment that it does, runes light up all around the edge. Vinraya lights an incense behind her. It glows with a bright green and bluish haze. Across from her, Tempari lights her own censer. It burns with black and golden smoke. With her right hand, Tempari summons lightning a crackling electricity in the palm of her right hand, flowing over the dagger. With the lightning spinning and swirling around that blade, she stabs it down into the basin. And up from the bowl comes a black cloud, filling their view. And then within that cloud, there opens a portal. It is thick and hazy, like the viscous membrane of some fell slug. Yet the cloud continues to crackle with lightning, and soon there is the obscure shape of something moving in the midst of the portal. And then a strong, deep voice echoes around the stone walls of the laboratory. Who is that? I can sort of see you on the other side, but is that you, Lou Marie Tormetvas. Yes, it is. It is I, Marie. I hope that I didn't startle you too much. I'm afraid there was no way for me to alert you that I was going to try and reach out. She sees the dark shape move on the other side of the membrane. How exactly are you doing this, Marie? I thought all the gateways between the Hells and the Natural Plane had been long closed. Well, we found a way using 
superior divine magic, uh, and the blood of someone from the hells, myself, uh, to open a, a sort of doorway. Of course, no one can travel between it, but we can speak for a time. Although I will admit, it is taking a considerable amount of power. The smoke burning from the incense of Vinraya and Tempari flows up into the black cloud, feeding it. But the two Dracon Kelly beside them look strained, as if their strength and energy were being drained into the cloud. Well, what is it that you need? Is everything alright? Is Saul okay? Is, is Vance? Everyone is fine, Torment Vance, for now. But we, we need your assistance with a specific matter. Actually, we need your advice. Oh, well, fire away then. Some time ago, as you may recall, you created the Hellburner Blade. And from what I understand, you did so using the skin and bone of devils. Is this correct? The form shifts uncomfortably on the other side. Yes, yes, that's true. Uh, I did form the Hellburner Blade in such a way. And why are you asking about the sword? Well, you see, we actually need to make a weapon of our own. We have a small piece, a, a shard, if you will, of, um, of immense power. And we would like to make something from it. A, a, a spear, or perhaps an arrow. Something like that. Something that could be used at a great distance. And we understand that in order for a device, a weapon, to hold such power in such a way, to accomplish exactly what we want, and to actually not only create this weapon, but to emphasize all of its strength into a single point, the way that you have, uh, into the edge of that great blade. It, it takes considerable prowess. What you're talking about, Mari, uh, is doable. But a normal blacksmith will not be able to accomplish this. You need someone, not just with prowess, you need someone strong. You need someone with a singular focus. It took me years to craft the edge of that blade. And it actually didn't, I, I didn't even get close until I had the breakthrough, realizing that it had to be summoned each time anew, as if being born for the first time from the souls stored within the handle. Silence falls between them as she considers his words. Are you saying that we'll have to use soul power to craft this way? No, not necessarily, depending on what this thing is that you have, for which you're being particularly vague, I must say. But I understand sometimes secrecy is important. But you will need a strong blacksmith, a powerful, very powerful blacksmith, not just physically, although yes, physically, but mentally, spiritually, and magically. If there is someone with knowledge of crafting, innate knowledge, and perhaps it could be done with a soul, that would certainly be easier. But without a soul, if you could harness the power of the thing itself, 
or gather power from somewhere else. Something truly valuable. Then you could spirit craft the power into the point of this device. But it takes something of immense fortitude and strength to force the power of this thing into one small point, which a point of impact sounds like you need. Why, yes, that, that is exactly what we are hoping for, Tormetvas. We're hoping to focus, pinpoint all the energy in this device to the very tip of the weapon, that when it pierces through the enemy, it will immediately unleash all of its might and hopefully deal a killing blow. Well, it sounds like you're in a hurry as well. Then you're going to need two things. One, a very good blacksmith. I do it myself, but I'm not even sure that really I'm good enough for what you need in the time that you need it done. But you're going to need someone especially good. Two, you're going to need a secondary power source. Something that you can draw from to push the energy of this shard, we called it, into the very end and set it up for a one-shot, one-kill situation. Marie nods, looking at Vinrea and Tempari on either side. They give her a nod in assent. And then she looks again into the hazy membrane. Thank you, Tormetvas. I, I believe we can work with this. Thank you for your expertise. And I do hope things are going well down there. We are making our final preparations. The drowning regime is strong. And they are not alone. The power of the Forsaken somehow still persists in this place. But... We are ready. We received advances call. We are waiting. Very good. Thank you again, Tomervas. And be careful. <laughs> he laughs as the membrane fades and the cloud dissipates. Well, it seems we're going to need a very powerful blacksmith and a secondary source of energy. I, I did not expect that, but you wouldn't happen to have any souls on hand, would you? Uh, no, I'm afraid I wouldn't have a soul on hand, Timpari says, looking over at her sister. You wouldn't have a soul, an extra soul? No, sure, surely not, right? R right, Vinrea? Vinrea grins slyly. Well, I never kiss and tell, but I might have something we could use, although it's currently tied up. I left it with our dear sister Pronciano recently. But I'll check with her. It might work. I, I can't say. It might be a bit too volatile or untrustworthy. But it is powerful. I wonder how it would interact with the Shard. And what of a blacksmith? I know there are blacksmiths in Branshire. Are there any that would be able to do what Tormetvas is speaking of? Any strong enough? Tempari looks again at Venrea and then back at Mari. There is one. Um, our brother. The one who isn't here. He could help us. He could seriously help us. But I just, I don't know. Last I spoke with him, he wasn't too keen on being a part of this. Oh, yes, Messin Kuma has a mind of his own. But if you were to go to him, Timpari, 
then maybe you could convince him. He's always had a soft spot for you. The door opens loudly behind the three of them, and stepping into the room is the tall, thick-boned, muscular figure of Sinean, the Conqueror. Did I miss it? Am I too late? Darn, I was really hoping to see into the hells. You know, I've never actually been. I've seen tieflings and such, of course, but I've never actually made my way down to those realms, so... That is disappointing. Uh, sorry, brother, but truthfully, it was kind of hard to see through the hazy thing anyway, but... Um, Sinean, do you think you might be able to help me with something? Sinean steps forward, clapping Tempore jovially on the shoulder. For you, dear sister, I would do anything. Uh, within my power, of course. What, what do you need? What do you need? I've been itching to get into a fight. Can we go punch something? She grins sheepishly. Uh, maybe. Um, we need to go find Messi. We're gonna need his help. Sanean's eyes grow big, looking down at her in surprised consideration. But then he smiles widely, nodding. Why, yes, Tempari. I think it is about time that he quits hiding in the shadows and joins our little adventure. But I'm afraid if we were to knock on his doorstep, he wouldn't let us in. Or at least that's what you all have said, and knowing him, that's probably true. Perhaps instead we should have some of our friends go. Maybe if they can get him to open the door, then we could step through. She nods, looking toward her sister. Venrea grins at them both wickedly. Well then... It sounds like the two of you have your part to fulfill, and of course, I have mine. The sun is low over the bright city of Branshire. In the core of the city, of course, there is the circle of majestic buildings, great mansions, three big mansions. Well, not, they're big. They're, they're the largest and, and nicest houses in all of Branshire, the first, second, and third house. Of course, there is also the Grand Library of Branshire and the majestic Temple of Palor. In the center, though, of all of this, uh, nearby the third house, there has been cleared out a large fenced area. The ground has been trampled down and filled with training equipment. Large uh, dummies, as well as sort of obstacle course that can be moved around. But all that stuff has been pressed to the side inside this large fenced area. And in the middle of it right now, there are two figures clashing in battle. One, a uh, live and very quick, almost like a viper quick, figure dressed in crimson, shining red armor. Her helmet is pulled down over her dark hair, and she is wielding in her hand an impressive longsword with a red blade. She moves forward quick, striking towards her opponent, who brings up a shield to block it, uh, bearing the mark of Palor and a strange symbol, that of the Rorag Gook clan. Ha! <laughs> It is, of course, the people's champion. Very good, Kjorg. Let's see if you can keep it up. Oh, I can. 
Oh, I bet you can. We're going to have a little competition here. Let's have just a few... We're just going to do a few rolls here. See how things are going. Of course, this is Rivora the Fury. The two of you have been training now, preparing for the battle ahead. So let's see how things are going. She just moved on you. Cure gets your chance now to make an offensive turn against her. Okay. Okay. I would push her off with my shield mm-hmm. and swing the Mace of Smiting. Okay. Give me a, give me a d20. Attack roll. Oh, that's a 12. Oh, no. A 12, you say? Hmm. That's not great. Mm. That is not good enough. She twists on a heel, bringing her long sword up and then striking forward with one hand towards you. Trauma class? 20. Okay, it's a 19. Oh yeah. Uh, so she barely misses. Uh, what's Kjorg wearing right now? Just his regular armor? Same old stuff. Sleeveless blue shirt with the paler symbol. Got the helmet on? Yeah. He might have that. I would say that you were told, like, this, like, bring it all. Oh, like, okay. Give me your best shot right now. This is like a everything on the line sort of fight. Okay. So she stabs toward you and she misses. Uh, glances again off your shield. Are you still, you're still too armed right now, though, I would say. This is early on. Yeah. Hmm. You're getting much swifter on your feet, Kjorg. Very nice. Let's see what you can do with this. And she does another twist. And when she does, a tail comes up out from the middle of her back and lashes at your legs, trying to scoop you up. Give me a dexterity saving throw. 19. Uh, You hop over it. Ah, very good. But remember what I told you. Don't hold anything back. This is your chance, Kjorg. Show me what you've got. It's your turn. I'm going to attack a bunch. Okay. Give them to me quick in succession. I would swing my Mace of Smiting. Mace of Smiting. That would be the... I would use it every time. That's a 24. 24. That is a hit. You crash into it with the Mace of Smiting. And an 18. That is a miss. Oof. She takes the first blow and then brings her shield up to bash the second one away. And then I actually get to attack again Mm -hmm. with my extra attack. Third time's the charm, baby. Let's see it. (laughs) It's actually not the charm. I got a natural one. (laughs) Oh, no. You swing forward again with the Mace of Smiting, but when you do, you didn't notice as her tail comes down again, and this time she grabs your ankle and just yanks it forward. Uh, You feel your feet slip as you fall back toward the ground. Boom! Your back hits the ground, and she gives out a unfortunate. And then she leaps into the air, bringing her sword, planting down toward you. Oh. What's your armor class? 20? 20. That is a success. Oof. Uh, she brings the sword, and she doesn't like nail you to the ground with it, but she she brings the sword down. And when Actually, she's planting it down, but when she gets to you, she just slashes across your chest, and she cuts you. Like she's not holding back. Like this is it. She cuts you, mm. and then she grabs you by the collar and lifts you up with one hand. And then she is going to swing again. This one is not enough. She tries to bring the hilt around and crash into the side of your head, uh, but you're able to swing your body weight or something, and she misses you. When she does that, she loses grip, and you land back on your feet again, but bloodied. Mm. First blood is mine. Half work. Very nice. Come on, you're holding back. We both know you are. Is this what you'll do against Blackfire? And then she hisses, and when she does, fire comes shooting out of her mouth. Give me a dexterity saving throw. Oh my. Uh, that's an eight. Okay, you're gonna you're gonna take it. 
I'm actually going to use Indomitable to try to dodge that again. Oh, okay. Go ahead. That's a 24, not team plus 5. Ah, okay. Fire comes just lashing out towards you from her lips. Uh, but you, you quickly step aside, but when you do, you feel the warmth come across your skin. Mm. And you're reminded of that feeling of the sun burning on your skin. I love that feeling. It reminds me of the dry lands. Mm. And as I think of that, yes, is it my turn? It is. Two extra arms burst out. Oh, baby. And I will first use them to try to suplex her. Try grab her? Yeah. All right. Give me a, we'll do a grappling check. So give me athletics. 27. You got her. Uh, she tries to quickly dodge out of the way, but you, with your extra arms, you're able to scoop her up in a hurry. And you have her in your arms. You're going to suplex her? Yes. You do so. You bring her crash into the ground. Boom. Then I would get up and take the Mogador out and swing it down at her. Okay, you're going to try and quickly, spinning, hopping up, swing the Mogador down at her. Go ahead and roll it. That's an 18. Okay. She spins, rolling out of the way as the Mogador crashes onto the ground. That's more like it. And she rolls around, and then off of her back feet, she springs toward you, almost feline-like. And when she does, great claws come out of her hands, and she just goes to lash out across your chest. Hmm. This one is a 24 to hit. That is a hit. She digs her claws in deep, uh, and she is holding on to you, and she brings another one down and goes to slash it into you again. This one is a 21. That is also a hit. She rears back, growing great sharp teeth, and bites down on your neck. Mm. But as she goes to do so, something, something happens, Cure. There's a sort of like a ferocity, a feral nature that wells up in your chest as she's clawing you and trying to bite you. Yeah. And almost, almost, without realizing it, fur spreads over your body. Nice. And a howl comes out of your mouth. And when it does, your fur, you know, it used to be that black and white, right? Yes. Now it's not. Now it's that golden color. And when it does, the the fur alights with flame like you're used to but this time there is a blinding bright flash <laughs> something you've never seen and literally Rivora lets out a cry and falls back it blasts her back off of you flashbang like a pulse of sunlight like a flashbang and there you stand cured solar flare four arms the Mogador in your hand as Rivora is blown back off of you and onto the ground dang boy you got a chance to do something here. I would rush forward wildly mm -hmm. and try to do what she just did to me, slash and bite. That's a dirty 20 with the claw. Yeah, that'll do it. So I would slash at her chest like she did to me. Well, she's got armor, but your claws score down through it, and you can feel some flesh. Mm. And then I would try to bite her neck with a 24, 15 plus 9. Oh, goodness uh yeah you reach down and bite her and she lets out a yell uh, and pushes herself back from you and she like you've seen her do a few times uh quickly grows uh, not not to full draconic form but just like 
gets big. You know what I'm saying? Mm. May, for the purpose of pulling you off her, and she grabs a hold of you, and her arms are bigger than yours, and she's bigger than you now. But when she holds you, she cannot get you off. And suddenly, you feel for the first time like she can't take you. Mm. And you hear a voice ring out over the arena. Match goes to Kjorg. Oh, what? We aren't aren't finished finished yet. You see Zahn standing there, his hands in his pockets, looking out towards you, and he has a noticeable grin on his face. Rivora takes her hands off of you. She shrinks down. You, I mean, you let her go. Mm -hmm. She reaches up with her hand to her neck, and, and looking at her for the first time, you can tell she looks shocked. Well, Kjorg, you, you have... You've bested me. I've been telling everyone all along that I can defeat Draco and Kelly, so... And I think perhaps that finally is true, Kjord. <laughs> says Zahn, and now standing right next to you. Rivora, thank you for everything that you've done. You have taught Kjorg very well, and I appreciate it. She blushes a little bit which is something you don't often see on her. And she gives a bow to Zahn. Of course, my lord. Georg, we will we will continue sparring while you're here. But for now, and she reaches out a hand toward you. Congratulations. I reach out four hands to shake her one hand. <laughs> she gives you a good hearty handshake with a grin. Thank you. Now, Georg, if, if you would, I, um, I'd, I'd like to have a word. All right. Walk with me. Uh, he turns and starts walking toward the Temple of Palor. Uh, you start walking with him, and he turns to you. Uh, before we leave the arena, of course, you know, they, the others, everyone, Brent Shearings, they can't see what's going on in here, not really. But before we step out, perhaps you should sundown, you know. Ah, oh, you think that my appearance would scare the people? Whether it would frighten them or not, I, I can't say for sure, but it would definitely be unsettling and draw attention we don't need. Mm-hmm. So if you don't mind. I suppose I can. You power down from Sunwolf mode? Yes. Put your two arms away? Yeah. Thank you. He continues walking forward. You all come to the gate, and there is just a simple, almost looks like a cattle gate that they've, they've put up, but it has these golden runes on it. He walks up, rubs his hand across the runes. Uh, they stop glowing and the gate opens and he starts walking again toward the temple well Kjorg you have come so far in such a short time yeah I think having a fence around just really helps me to train better <laughs> yes. I need to finish painting it and the ah. fence is like half white there's still some paint drying on it ah yes yes well it's a good thing to do everyone needs a little bit of leisure especially since well It won't be long now. The day is swiftly approaching when the gods will call their champions together once more. You see them looking up toward the sun. It's it's getting low in the sky. It's not all the way down, like you're not approaching dusk, but it's in the lower part of the sky. Mogert is back in Dimmerhold with Dervetter. Jim is in Fallen Grove right now, seeking for Nephi. He may be speaking with him now, for all I know. Can't say for sure. And Blaze, 
He should be in Venthaven again, hopefully within the day from last I had heard. And once each of these champions are back in the homes of their gods, we'll call all of you together as we did before for one final lesson, one final message, something... Well, there are just some important things we need to tell you. One last gathering before the day comes that we must all go and stand against Blackfire and a chained god. Hmm. Are you ready, Kjork? I'm always ready. <laughs> he chuckles. Well, if there is... He, he stops, he kind of... He, he has a weird look on his face, one you're not used to seeing on, you know, the face of a god. He always seems to be, he seems to have it under control. You know, he's been going through a lot, obviously. Everyone's going through a lot, but he seems to have things under control. But he gets a look, just kind of a, a worrisome look. And he says, if there is anyone, Kjork, I know you have family and friends, people you care deeply about. If there is anyone that you would like to see or share any words with before we must go and do what we must do then you should hmm you want to you want a list of names oh no 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 I don't need that I'm just saying we don't have long I'm sure that well Timpari or, or, or some one of the others Hopenkel I'm sure he'd be willing to give you a ride take you wherever you needed to go if there's someone you need to see or something you need to say Yes, I may do that. I may go to the Drylands. Right. Perhaps tomorrow would be a good day for that. Sounds good. Well, how about some dinner, he says. And then he stops. And he stands up straight and he turns and he looks toward the west. And he squints his eyes and he gets a concerned look on his face and then his eyes grow kind of wide and then Kjorg as you are looking and thinking what what's going on suddenly your ears also perk up and there is a strange sound as if coming from far far away to the west and you look and for a moment it's almost as if the miles fade away as you see like you've never seen before Yes. You are climbing, or are you climbing? You are heading down into the chasm. I'd rather not. In the middle of the canopy. Looking for Nephiel. That's, of course, where Gretchen told you he was when you all spoke earlier. Right, right. Imagine like a giant pit in the middle of a forest, a quarter mile wide. There are crisscross trees sticking down into it, out of it, and there's buildings down in there and everything, and it's just a big old dank mess. But, of course, for Jim, something like that is not an issue because Jim has learned to manipulate his own physiology. So how has Jim manipulated his physiology to go down in that pit and find Nephiel? Feathers. Feathers, okay. Is he flying, or does he just have feathers? I jump off and sprout wings, and then I dive 
but then I use the wings kind of like a glider so that I okay. uh, slow myself whenever I and try to glide to find where I'm going as I get further down in. That gets you pretty far down. Eventually, you do come to a place where it's almost like netted, very difficult, um, and you have to land onto a bunch of these crisscross trees and just branches and, and, and buildings and brush and stuff. Um, so when you get there, what do you do? I use bat sonar. Use bat sonar. Very cool. Okay. Yeah. To find the right openings. That's right. Jim makes his way through all of this chasm. It's, it's getting dark as you go down, but you also notice these sort of bioluminescent mushrooms and moss and things that are helping to light the air. And they seem strategically placed, almost like they've been put there to help you all see, help you see as you go down. And finally, as you're, you're floating down, flying down, you hear some voices talking below and you see a little, well, I'll say a little, a big platform kind of stuck into the wall and you see a number of figures standing around on the platform that is sort of crashed into the side of this chasm and held up by a number of trees and stuff. I refuse. You land, uh, and as you do, a number of people, some of them react pretty quickly, like, whoa, what's going on? Uh, but there's not that many. There's probably less than, fewer than 10 people there. But one particular figure, a, a tall, dark-haired elf, his hair sort of pulled back uh, and tied in, a, not a bun, but like a, like, a, like a ponytail, some sort of a tie around his hair. He stands, walks towards you. He's wearing a very simple, like, a green cloth shirt and pants. As he walks forward, he sees you, and he recognizes you. He says, ah, Jimalil. Hey, you're the one I'm looking for. Jimalil, you seem to have grown wings. Oh, yeah. And I go, and swoop them back into me. They're gone now. Oh, that was disconcerting. Um, it, it was. It is for me, too. Every time. Ah, um, what brings you here, Jimalil? I was looking for you. You have found me. Um, I'm still doing all I can to find everyone who was lost in the destruction of the canopy. And he kind of motions toward the other four figures you see standing there. And now you kind of notice, it was a little dim down here at first, but now you notice weird looking people. Um, seems like maybe a family of gnomes, but they have mushrooms growing all over them. And they seem somewhat decayed. Should should they look like that? Are they okay? They are... in. They're not okay, but they are alive. There is something strange occurring here, Jim. In the neighborhood? Well, yes, in the neighborhood of the canopy. Ever since the fall of Fallen Grove, some time back, a, a tiefling, Satsaurus, I believe was his name, and a few companions of his, came here and... They found us. Some strange things. I won't go into all of it, but I was given life again. And I have been trying to help all of our friends, our people. And we are settling them back on the surface until we can find a way to help them. They are not dead, but they are also in some ways not fully alive, Jim. Not everyone. Some survived the attack. But many folks, many of our people have been infected with this strange fungus-like thing. Hmm. That's not good. But they are of no danger. They cause you no harm. Would you be willing to help me, Jim? I had intended to use my own magics to transport these four with me back up to the surface, but with your abilities, surely we could make it much quicker. 
Yeah, I, uh, I help with talons and wings. Okay. You grow talons and wings. Yeah. He transforms into a giant big old griffin. So he also has talons and wings. And when he does, he allows one of he allows one of the gnomes to climb on his back and the other he holds in his arms and he gives you a nod and he takes off. Yeah. I do the same. The two of you go flying back up through the chasm. Takes you a little bit to get back up there. There are no complaints from these strange mushroom people. Um, well, I'll say mushroom people. They're gnomes. Infected. But you bring them back to the surface of Fallen Grove. Uh, and you following after Nephiel, you land on the western side of the chasm. Nephiel lands, helping them to get safely back to the ground. And then he transforms again into his elven self. He would. Jemaleel. If you would like to follow me, I will show you where our people are staying. i follow him to see where his people are staying. You go forward. It's not a long walk, but you're walking a little bit away from the canopy, um, the, the sort of valley-ish area where the canopy is. Fallgrove is dead. Um, the trees are barren. It is still a little... It's still unseasonably cold here. It's not like winter, but it's cooler than it should be. There are few cries and calls of creatures and animals around when you're walking through the barren forest. But up ahead, there is a gigantic tree that has been uprooted, and there is a large hole broken into the side of it. Nephiel approaches it, and he steps in through the tree, and he turns. Come, Jim. Follow me through this tree, this tunnel. I follow. You follow. The gnomish folks are walking, and they're quiet. And you see the light glowing up ahead as you pass through this big, hollowed-out tree tunnel. And finally, you come out the other side. And when you do, you are taken aback. (gasps) Amidst all of the dead trees, amidst all of the barrenness, there is one tree standing in the middle of this glade. And it has both green orange and red leaves around it grass is growing uh, probably about a little over ankle high flowing with a nice warm breeze there are smaller structures built all around and you can hear the voices of people talking and milling about smell the sense of of foods being cooked all around you it is there's music being played and, and you have stumbled into a microcosm of what was once the lively spirit of Fallen Grove. Is that the tree? This tree was given life with the seed of the power of the gods. Oh. A shard of their power. It is a long story, but well, you know how Blackfire murdered our goddess, he says with a bowed head. Yes, you will pay for that. Indeed. He brought a weapon that he had formed from the very prison of the chained god, whom we now know to be the wicked, crooked father of the gods. And with that piece of his prison, he slayed Tonia. But a piece of that weapon, a shard of that spear remained, and within it, the essence of the gods. And when I was brought again to life, I used it, I planted it, and from it grew a sapling, which is now this tree. 
There are two others, which I have planted around the forest of Fallen Grove, but as you can see, this wonderful meadow and emotions around toward the place has sprouted from it, but I'm afraid it has stopped growing. It, it, it can't overcome the death around us, at least not yet, but it is something, a start. Yes, restoration. It's good to plan now for what we have faith will will come after this is all over. Yes. And I have friends. Poldo, you remember Poldo, I'm sure. He was helping us there in the Corrine when last we met. And others. Some I have been able to help restore their minds, even though they are taken with this half-life. But we will continue to try. But Jimalil, you... What is it that brings you here to me? Yes, uh, Dravetter sent me because I have oh. seemingly somehow have some of her power, or Atonia's power within me. So I was going to see if I could help. And also, Atonia's people from her, from her realm are needing relocation. And I was going to see if we could combine efforts there as well to to help these people get resettled. I see. Yeah. Elevonre Honorius, you remember him. Yes. He spoke sometimes of strange peoples who lived in the realm of Atonia. Stories is all I have ever heard, but I suppose with her death, now her realm has also passed. Yes. Thankfully, it gave us time, but... Yes, it is gone. Well, Jim, Fallen Grove is a massive expanse. I have no doubt that we would be glad in welcoming each of them, or some of them, any who would like to come. But right now it is it is not fit for life. It is barren. But you are the champion of Atonia. Do you suppose... He, he, he pauses, he... His eyes close and he kind of lowers his head and he whispers to himself, almost like he's praying. You suppose that perhaps you could help with Fallen Grove? Yes, I. that is my hope. Here, come with me. Um, and he walks you over to the tree. And it's not a huge tree. It's you know, maybe 10 feet high, uh, but it's beautiful. And you can see the leaves. They're the same as those great, strange, like, leathery-looking leaves uh, that were used to cover the outside of the corine that grew from the, the tree, the tree of the canopy, the corine tree. That one? And as you approach it, Jim, looking on it, you feel just the essence of the life of Fallen Grove coming out of this tree. As you approach it, Nephiel turns towards you, and when he does, he says, Jim, there is a something there. And you look down, and here we are again. The glow of the totem of Atonia around your neck, shining through your robes. Ah, this has happened before. It's resonating with the tree. You pull out the amulet? I pull it out. It's glowing. All three parts of the triquetra, the green, the red, and the orange, are glowing. And there's a sort of hum coming from it, even. And it glows brighter. It becomes warm in your hand. And its warmth sinks down into your bones like a, like a glowing hearth, a fireplace on a cool autumn night. 
But then that glow, that glow on your chest, it it moves with a bright orange light. The glow moves up into your palms, into your wrists, up your arms like roots growing up across your flesh, Jim. Like luminescent roots of light spreading down your arms and through your entire body, up your neck, onto your face, in your eyes, they glow orange and Jim begins to levitate lightly off from the floor of the forest. Suddenly, all the people around, including Nephi, they, they step back and looking on in awe as you levitate, they're glowing and a warmer, but still cool, autumn wind blows through the glade, flowing sweetly all around you. And the tree before you begins to sway. And all the trees around the glade that are dead and lifeless, they also begin to sway and blow in the wind. And then rolling out from the tree comes bright light. Rolling out from Jim comes bright light as he levitates up higher even. And almost like a wave, you see power flow out from within your chest. And that's when you hear it, Jim. What do I hear? A song ringing in your ears. A song in the songbird voice of Otonia. And you hear yourself singing along with that tone, moving around the forest as the trees of the canopy flowing out from this glade like a wave of orange light suddenly spread leaves of green, orange, red. And the life of Fallen Grove runs out across the dead trees like a wave as far as you can see. And Jim, you settle again onto your feet. And as you do, it is quiet except for the sound of a soft breeze blowing. And you look around you, and the people of Fallen Grove of Atonia are standing in awe. And Nephiel nearby, after just a moment, steps forward, kneels onto the ground on both knees, and bows before you, Jim. And then all the people of Atonia around him do the same, kneeling, their heads to the ground, offering obeisance to the champion of Atonia. <laughs> 